and Rav Shach. Each one of them got sort of the better part of two weeks. But I think now that we're coming to the uh, fourth and fifth of the super team, when we talk about Rav Yashiv and Rav Vosner, I, I think that two is a little bit perhaps not even enough. Because it seems that there's so much material and from Rav Vosner in terms of what he's written, also in terms of what his Talmidim and things have said over and Rabbi Yashiv especially, um, I think he towers in so many ways over Jewish life today in terms of Pesach But I think it's incumbent to perhaps spend a little more time on Rabbi Yashiv. Uh, I actually want to start with a little bit of a bridge between Rav Scheinberg and Rabbi Yashiv, if, uh, if I can be allowed to do that. But I call today um, really... The, uh, we're opening the casebook of the Supreme Pesach. Um, you might be aware that, of course, that was one of the uh, titles of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes series, the casebook of Sherlock Holmes. I think Rabbi Yashiv's, the comparison is not 100% off. Rabbi Yashiv seemed to have a preternatural sense of things, almost like Holmes in, in fiction, in terms of able to deduce what was going on, his ways of looking, his incredible memory, uh, his mind and memory, and just the um, his, although he doesn't have any of Holmes' terrible weaknesses, in some ways he is somewhat as unapproachable intellectually because of what he was able to do. So I think it's, it's and unlike Holmes, who had a fictional writer who, a, his Boswell, who was able to, um, uh, uh, Watson was able to give us a blow-by-blow description of Holmes's cases. Ramvoz, a lot of his early life is somewhat vague. And in fact, even though if you speak to the G'day Yerushalayim, they'll tell you Rav Yashiv didn't just arrive on the scene when Rav Meshu was Nifter and Rav Zalman was Nifter, all of a sudden everybody turned to Rav Yashiv. Everybody knew Rav Yashiv was the, his greatness. But he didn't write as much. Rav Meshe has many, many volumes of Idris Meshe and Dibris Meshe. The, uh, the, uh, the Tshuvas of Rav Yashiv, the Kutei Tshuvas of Rav Yashiv, are very small in comparison to the influence that he wields. Now, I would say that he didn't have a Watson, but he sort of has, he's gotten a Watson recently, which of course was his son-in-law, Rav Zilberstein. Rav Zilberstein, of course, wrote a whole sefer called Kavanoki that is based on the idea of Belezer ben Yaakov being Kavanoki, that there isn't much from Rav Yaakov, everything from Rav Yaakov is a halocha. Similarly, there isn't that much from Rav Yashiv, but he actually gathers many Dvarmi Piyashmua. So, since Rav Yashiv's Ptira, and even the years right preceding that, Rav Zilberstein did a tremendous amount of um, I wouldn't call it propagandizing, but really spreading the word of how great his shver was, his father-in-law was. And if you if you do a search in, in Chashukei Chemed, or like I said in some of the other svarm of, of Reb Zilberstein, you'll see that Rabbi Yashiv plays a very, very large role. But before that, I what I want to try to do today, uh, and maybe over the course of a couple of weeks, is try to discern Rabbi Yashiv's kayach in his 40s and early 50s when he was sitting on the Rabbanut, on the Bezdin in Yerushalayim. 
And even though, uh, it, which is surprising to many people, even the fact that he was a Dayan in the Rabbanut, everybody knows that Rabbi Yashiv stood for Degelatera, he stood for the Haredim, he stood for, um, stood outside of the structure of, 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 of the modern state in terms of, uh, of the chief rabbinate. Uh, Rabbi Yashiv was actually very close to many people who were very uh, important in forming the idea of the chief rabbinate. Uh, foremost, of course, was Rav Kluxatzal, who had a very large role in Rabbi Yashiv's life, as we'll talk about in a minute. And Rav Herzog, who was, of course, uh, the chief rabbi, uh, uh, when Rabbi Yashiv, uh, and actually he was the one who actually came to pick Rabbi Yashiv to be the, to be a Dayan. He actually came to the yeshiva in Tveris Bechurim, and he came to get him. <laughs> he came and said, we need you. And as we're going to see, Oid Ma'at, Rabbi Yashiv rose from uh, not just being a Dayan in, in Yerushalayim, uh, he became, within not that long of a period, he became the, actually a Hof Dayan. He became actually the Rav of when Eretz Yisrael is like the Court of Appeals. Eretz Yisrael, if you, if you want to appeal a Psaq, it's not that, you know, there, there are methods here, even in the Bati Dinim here, the ones that I'm connected with, in fact, we have a psaac right now on the books that uh, I knew that the people would not be too happy about. Um, one of them saw them. And when I was talking over with the other Dayonim, I said, this one's going to be challenged, and it has been. Um, and there is a way that we can challenge psaacim, even in our Bote Dinim, but not, which, is, which means that the Abbezdin takes a look at the psaac and but here in Eretz Yisrael, it's a lot more similar to it's a lot more similar to the, the method that we have here, where you actually file for a an appeal and a, and actually three dayonim hear the case again after going through all the documentation of the first bezdin and Rabbi Yoshev, I'm not sure how many years it took. I don't want to speak uh, incorrectly, but he went from being just a dayan on the Rabbanut's bezdin and being a very uh, to one of the supreme dayonim. In the Rabbanut and Eretz Yisrael. So my point here is, is that in the Lakute Chuvas of Rabbi Yashiv and in the Ha'aris in Shas, which is what most people know, um, besides the Svarim, the, besides the whatever Rabbi Zilberstein has said, I think that there's also a place to find Rabbi Yashiv's approach in his Psokim, the Psokim that were part of the Bezdin. The hard part, and I was speaking to a, 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 a Chosh of a Dayan this, this week, I said the hard part is going to be looking at these Piskei Dinim, which are written in the name of three Dayanim, and recognizing Rebbe Yashiv's distinctive stamp on it. Um, I know when I think about the Dayanim that we're involved with in the Bezna of America, and I read their Psokim, I could tell which Dayan wrote the Psak. Um... I'm hoping that we can discern at least the elements of that great Pesach of the of, of the later years from those original Psalkin and be able to actually see, just like we did with Rav uh, Scheinberg's Atzal, we saw the man in his 40s and we saw the Kayach of his Havana from the 40s up until the point that he reached Or uh, Hashem, the Arich Hashem that he had. I'd like to think that we could do the same thing with Rabbi Yashiv, finding that those early psukim written in his 40s and to see there already the type of nekuda of, of Rabbi Yashiv's derech. Um, as with any great person, 
I think it's wrong to just say this is his derech and psak. We're also going to talk about his derech and shas. And his hashkofa, which is built on a lot of different tayr that he has on chumash. And I, I have the distinct feeling that unlike many Litvish uh, Rabonim and Rabbi Yashuk was a Yulid Lita. He was born in Lita, although he came there to throw when he was 11. Um, Rabbi Yashiv's, um Hashkofas are also rooted in a knowledge of Sifrei Kabbalah and Chochmas Anistar. Um, and that's, of course, based on the fact, and I'll show you in a minute, why is that, that from his great, his, his grandfather, the great Balaleshev, Abshom Eliashiv, Eliashiv, um, question how to pronounce his name, but his grandfather, Balaleshev, was extremely close, although um, he died when Rabbeshev was 16. We know from the Balaleshev's own writing, I'll show you one example, that Eliashiv, who was uh, his sole grandson that was with him in Eretz Yisrael at the time, uh, helped him in writing the Leshem Svarim. And the Leshem Svarim are all hakdomos to the ideas of the Arizal. The Leshem was a, was a makubal otzim, was considered, Chavetz Chaim told people, and he was in Tzadik Nister for a while, but as, as the Svarim became known, and the Chavetz Chaim saw them. The Chavetz Chaim sent Rabbi Yehudah I think, or Dushinzer, if I'm pronouncing it right. He said, "He said you should go to Shaval to see the Balaleshem, because you're not going to be able to imasik his madrig, and I will be able to reach his level in the Yilma Emes. <laughs> but you can reach him now in this world and have some connection to him." Um, so Balaleshem was one of the was was known as the as as the Makubal of Lita who understood Tairus Hari more than perhaps anybody. And his grandson helped him write those some of those volumes. In fact, one of the volumes that came out in Eretz Yisrael when, when Rebel Yashem was 13 years old, the Baal Hashem says that this mimer was written with the help of my, <laughs> of my grandson. And he calls him again with, the, I think, the title that he uses there for him. So when I get the exact phrase, the way he refers to him, he says that, um, yeah, Hadrusha Zek Hasafti Yiso Bitalo Rabba. It took a lot of energy. It was it was very difficult. The Siddhartha of Ayyadei Zulosi. It was really organized by someone else. Ayyadei Nichti Hayeled, Kvoid Marenu Rav Yosef Sholom Al Yashev. He's a Yeled, but Kof Memresh, Kvoid Moirai Right, kvoid more tyrol kvoid, and it's definitely a sign of 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 my Yosef Shalom Yashiv Shvita Yosef Shalom Shvita. So even at an age when he was thirteen, was the lesson bracha that got him to be in It's well, clearly, I'm saying even at thirteen, he was already involved in learning and being involved in and in being Masada Sifrei Kabbalah with his grandfather. I'm saying he called, you know, he said Shlita ready at 13, you know, maybe that... That broch of Arach Yomim. 100%. That could definitely be true. It could be definitely true, Yaki. Um, there's an interest... So what I'm saying is I think his Hashkofa and his Musr <coughs> are tinged with his probably Shlita, just like he knew everything else. <laughs> there was not one subject that you could stump him on. I mean, it was Bavust. Even Besayf Yomov, 
people would be would, he would take 50 questions on the way to a Levaya on every single area in Shas I, my Chavrusa who was very close with him in Eretz Yisrael Rabbi Kuferman a wonderful Talmud Chacham who, who has a tremendous visa uh, would prepare weeks and weeks and weeks on a sugya and come to speak to Rabbi Yasha for 10-15 minutes and for Cooperman had knowledge of from A to Z as much as he could on, on every prat of, 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 the, of the topic and Rabbi Yasha knew not everything he said Rabbi Yasha was able to trump him and beyond he knew every single Meyer Malcolm that Cooperman came with and he was able to actually extend that and give him a greater understanding so that was Rabbi Yasha even in, when he was already 70 and 80 years old and this happened consistently. So we're talking about a person who's, 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 like I said before, when I compared him to Holmes, the memory and the power of, of his, re, of his retention was, was incredible. Um, and therefore I would assume that even his, his, his Maimara Manchumish and his Musr is, is quite deep and has a, maybe even a Kabbalistic undercurrent to it, which maybe we'll try to, try to figure out as well. I should tell you one thing that the legend that, and again, it's, it's, it's strange when we talk about legends to someone who lived in the 20th century, but people have quite a, a sort of like a romantic sense of what life was like in Yerushalayim and Yerushalayim Shazov in the, you know, in the, in the 20s when Rabbi Yashav was there. He was born in 1910, so the 20s was when he was a, was a teenager. The Baaleshem dies in uh, 26, I believe. Um, but they say that he took his grandson up with him. You've heard this story. They took his he took his grandson up with him to Tveria. And the Sefer Ben Ishchai it mentions, and the Sefer Ben Yahu, which is the Sefer on Jerusha from the Ben Ishchai, it mentions that the bear of Miriam was transported to Eretz Yisrael and went into the Yam Kinneret. And supposedly, again, I'm not sure if this is from the Menishchai or from the, the legends, the way they speak about it, is that if you're able to drink from the Be'er Shal Miriam, then you won't be shyach to Shikha, you won't be shyach to forgetting anything. So they say that he went swimming in the Yam Kineret with his grandson, and the Balalesha was able to find, he knew where the bear was, and he was able to give him from some of those incredible waters which allowed Rabbi Yashem to be that person. Now, again, it sounds like uh, the type of thing you'd like to say over, but it's, they don't say that about me and you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They, they don't, in order to, because someone with such, again, his memory was, was incredible. Um, so. The, um, I mentioned before about his um, the two uh, Rav Arashim who were very important in his life. Uh, Rav Kuksatzal, who he had a tremendous COVID for, uh, was responsible for many things. First of all, Rav Kuk was able to get the family, and that's why they actually changed their name. Uh, he was actually, his grandfather was Eliashev. Uh, his family name, and it's Machlekes, whether it was actually, uh, uh, was actually Levinson. His father's name was either Levinson or Pupka. They weren't sure exactly what his, right? but he took on, they took on the grandfathers from his mother's name. Rabbi Yashem's mother's father's name. That's the Balalesham. 
Um, Rav Kook Satsal was able in the 20s, uh, when he came back from his goal, was from uh, the Second World War, to get uh, visas uh, through England to be able to come there to Israel. But he was only he wasn't able to get many, so he was get, he got specific rabbonim because Rav Cook had spent time with the Balaleshem, learning Kabbalah with him for over a month. He knew about the Balaleshem's greatness, and he wanted the Balaleshem to be able to come there to Israel. And he was able to therefore take his son-in-law and his grandson, and they were able they were able to get into Israel because of that. Rav Cook, of course, had another very strong role in the Rebbe Yashav's life, which is that he was the Shadchan of Rebbe Yashav to his wife, the daughter of Rabbi Arya Levin, Tzadik of Yerushalayim. Rav Cook was the one who was the Masadar Kedushin by the Chasana, and he was also the one that was Matziah the Shidduch, Although I think Rabbi Ari Levin was anyway close to the Baal Leshem and had his sights on, on Rabbi Yisuf Sholem in the first place. So Rav Kook throughout, again, he's, he's, he was responsible for bringing this giant to Eretz Yisrael, and he's responsible for connecting him to the Chiras Libay. Um, we should, we should be very, and again, it's not so strange, therefore, that Rabbi Yashiv Comes connected to the um, the uh, the Rabbanut. It's not like he felt that they were all kaifrim and hilarious, and he shouldn't have anything to do with them. Um, he was quite connected. And again, we spoke about our Herzog before. Here's just an interesting letter which I discovered this morning, and I want to thank my good friend uh, Rabbi David Katz for helping me find it online because it's in a Torah journal called. Um, called Tchumim, which they have not yet made available. You have to pay to become a member. Uh, this was a letter that Rav Herzog, who then was the Rav in um, Dublin, the Rav in Ireland, I, we've talked before why Rav Herzog became the Rav Aroshi of Eretz Yisro. I talked about that a couple months ago. He had actually a lot of uh, experience, not only dealing with the Brits being in Ireland, but he also knew about uh, how to deal with people that were revolting against the Brits because he was dealing with the Irish and the Irish revolution against England. So those are many of the reasons why Rav Herzog was chosen to be chief rabbi. But even before, when he was sitting, when he was in Dublin, Rav Herzog wrote a letter to the Balaleshem. And this was written in 1924. Um, and once again, the... Um, Rav Eliashev was about 13 or 14 at the time. And he tells him that, uh, why is Rav Herzog writing him a letter? Because Rav Herzog, as you can see, Yitzhak Isaac Alevi Herzog, Rav Herzog's writing a letter to the Balaleshem to find out a derech in Limud Kabbalah. He wants to be a sholem in everything, and he wants the Balaleshem to give him hadrocha of how, what of the svarim he should learn, and so, as you can see here, he says, This was 19, right around our period now, 1924. By the way, again, I mentioned, as you notice in the email, that it was Rabbi Yashav's yard site yesterday. 
Rishayna Shalim Chavosi Lerayim Mailas Tairosai Alter Chosai Vishtad Lusi Lehatively. You've been helping me. Bidvar Heter Aknisa Leratzakdeisha. So it sounds like not only Rav Cook helped by getting the actual visa, but even Herzog, Rav Herzog in Ireland, also helped. As he can, as you see, the Baal Leshem says, "Thank you for letting me in." I know that you worked for me. He says that you should get all the brochas. Maybe if Yankee's right, that the Leshem's brocha works. Could be that's the reason why he was Zoha to become chief rabbi, was from the brocha of the Baal Leshem. I know it's been a number of years. It's been about two years, and I haven't written you. He says, He says it was difficult to travel. I've, I've, I've been ill. Um, and he says, And he writes over here again. You can, you, it's all in your email. And if anybody, if any of you want to know how to start your Kabbalah odyssey, take advice here from the Bible. Take advice from the Baal Leshem. Next week, by the way, is going to be the Arizal's yard side. So uh, that's that's the fifth day above. So so you can see here that uh, here's what you should do. And he talks about the Zohar and the problems with the Zohar and learning Ramak and learning the Ari and learning the Ramban. You can t- again, all of that is very interesting and fascinating. And he's not afraid to say that he thinks the best safer to start with is his own. <laughs> he says, uh, he says, Al Yachshad Osi Kvoda Lenegiya Bizeh. He says, he says, he says, um, once you do the Ramak and you get the Kabbalah before the Ari, he says, you should read my safer. He says, Ladaiti, um, in order to be, understand the Arizal. He says, he says, I've heard from other Mukubalim before Samim that they've told their initiates, their novitates, to learn my book. Obviously, we're not talking about people who can't make a laning on a piece of Gemara. We're talking about people that have already learned they know how to learn Shas and Paiskim, and now they've they've already learned Kabbalah's Ramak, and now they want to go up to the highest level to learn Luriana Kabbalah. He says, the best safer to start with that I know about is mine own. And you can get it. He says, So he says, I happen to have a brother in Dublin, which I guess explains the connection, and you can borrow it. And if you want Lahasik, so you want to own your own, I think in Shaval, in Lita, where I was, I think there's still some volumes over there. And I, I have some people there, and maybe I can get them sent from Lita to you in, 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 Dublin, in Dublin. And then, after you learn my Sefer, then you can start the Arizal himself, and then he talks about the best editions, and you see the Bikiyas that he has in all the different editions of the Ari. What's the Sefer's name? His sefer is the Hakdama to the Baal. It's called Leshem Shvo Vaholima. Leshem Shvo, which is one of the we talked about the Torah of <laughs> last week. We talked about the uh, the Nofach, the Nofach. So this is one of the Torah of the Choshem. Now I just want to show you what he writes here. He says that. Um, 
one of the stones, right? So he says that, um, right? Okay. I want to show you where he writes that he says that this letter is being written. Um, ah, he says, okay. Um, take a look here. This letter I wrote, one of the people who's close to me, Nechdi, my grandson, Hayeled. The only person that could be, of course, is Rabbi Yashif. Bashir, Shikohu Enai. My my eyes have become weak like Yitzchok, like And I can't actually, although I'm dictating it, I can't actually write by myself anymore. He's writing it. And I'm, he's writing down this letter. And I'm not telling anybody else about it. Meaning, I know it's, it might be embarrassing that a 13-year-old child is taking down this very in, in, intimate question that Rav Herzog had. But he says, don't worry. He's not going to know. No one else will know about it. So again, you see, uh, I thought it fascinating. You can see, first of all, of course, that here's... Rev. Yoshev, and I've got a picture of him. I want to show you the way he looked. Um, this is his passport picture when he was 11. You can pass this around. You can see how he looked. This is when he was 11, just a little boy. Here's a picture of him. Did he ever leave After he was 11? I don't think he ever left. No, he did not. Here's a picture of him uh, at around 17. <coughs> to show you this picture, which I thought was... Pretty striking. Let's see. Let's find a picture of him. Um, put it on his Facebook page. Yeah. Um, let me try to find that picture. And again, he's just a little boy, a little boy, a little very special, special human being. Um, okay. So. You're saying he learned Kabbalah at 14. This is my guess that he wasn't just like a, a tape recorder to his dad, to his grandfather. My my guess is that he was understanding some of what he was writing, especially as the Baaleshem says himself he was misogynist. Okay, so I want to start um, dealing with his Torah right away, and I always believe that if you contrast. You're going to be able to perhaps understand things a little bit better. I thought I had a beautiful picture of him, which I, I'm i not sure where it is. Oh, here it is. Maybe it's in the back. It's in the back. But I thought it was a really an incredible, incredible picture, but okay. All right. It's, it, he looks extremely young <laughs> and fantastic. And uh, it's, it's supposedly a very rare picture. I don't have it here, but you know. Um, okay, you can... In, right. right. Um, here you can enjoy Rebel Yashiv and, and Roshama Zalman. There's a nice color picture of them together. But I'll find that other picture of Mr. Shama. I'll get it to you later. Okay. What is... Obviously, people have all heard Psalkin from Rebel Yashiv. 
One of the things is, I would say, is that sentiment, and, and even if it's written by some great authority, has no place by Rabbi Yashif. He is, uh, in that way, very similar to Rav Moshe, but he, but he has less, almost less covered than Rav Moshe has. When people would write Rav Moshe letters and they would say, I saw in this safer, I saw a psaac from here. Um, Rav Moshe says, look, I don't have that safer. I could just tell you the way I'm learning the Gemara and this is the way it is. Now, Yashiv had very little, um, had very little tolerance for that. Um, and I have a couple places where I want to show you this. We're talking about the nine days. Okay, this is not necessarily, this is, well, here's something that, uh, uh, we're going to talk about, like, you know, Rabbi Yosef is a prolific, uh, posseg, and a lot of, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get to what, here's a psaac right now, here we go. My, my, my point being that, I want to try to find there them, aren't, there aren't that many people that, that go with this, <coughs> suck in. There aren't? Uh, well, uh, can you name me any that, let's say, for you personally, that, you know, that you follow? Uh, Usually, Rabbi Yosef is quoted, you know, that as the other extreme. Okay, that's an interesting. He's known as a very machmer. uh, Oh yeah, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you Kula in a minute. I'll start with the Kula then. We'll start with the Chumrah though. Let's start with the Chumrah of Rav Scheinberg, and I want to show you. I want to show you the Kula Rabbi Yosef. We talked about Rav Scheinberg's Tidkus. So let me show you. um, Here are. Here's a uh, Chumrah from Rav Scheinberg, if everybody can see all right. Okay, it's going to be the nine days, right? So here's Rav Scheinberg, the way Rav Scheinberg, and again, Rav Scheinberg, we know he was a tzaddik in his own right. Here we go. B'tisha yomim noyeg shini b'malbushov, hu hikpid midai. Rav Scheinberg Although we saw we saw people who saw the video, we've seen pictures of him. He didn't want to look his best during the nine days. Um, in other words, it was clear that he looked better during the rest of the year than in nine days. He even once was wearing a tie, and he asked his shamish, could he get him a different tie, because he felt this was too... A, it was too nice of a tie for the nine days. I'm not sure I'm sure it looked anything like this, but it was. <laughs> I don't think he wore the same long record, a white shirt, and black pants. And he dressed differently during the nine days. Okay, so. So. Right. Right, the quality of the shirt. The quality of the shirt. But look at this. Here's something which I thought was. The, and you're going to see Rabbi Yashiv rejects this, but you'll see in a minute. Valocha shalilvaish mechubosim betisha yomin. Okay, there's halacha, of course, that you can't wear clothes that have been laundered even before the nine days, right? So even though you got them sent to the laundry, you pick them up today, you got to do something today, right? I remember when we were in yeshiva, of course, and when we were growing up, and even when I was first married, with stuff that was from the laundry, you got to stuck it on the floor a little bit, right? Wear it, right? There's a whole bunch of chumras not to wear clothes that are freshly laundered. That's an activity. <laughs> By putting on clothes before the nine days. That's that's happening this afternoon somewhere. Somewhere, right. 
winning a few shirts at a time. I guess if again, I guess I guess if you're only doing it with shame. Uh, sorry, sorry. The other eights, of course, was that they had the postcom say to put it on the ground a little bit and get it a little dirty. But okay. The problem, of course, is what about if the beggar that you're talking about is you sweat through, right? So it's one thing. Okay, the shirt. How about but t-shirts? Okay, I don't. I, I have a freshly laundered T-shirt. My T-shirt is not the same idea of hachlofas begodim, right? A beggar that gets sweaty halachically is looked at differently, right? So it's possible, of course, in Yerushalayim that everything gets sweaty, especially in the heat, right? So especially even your regular shirt, you go out and you wear and you wear a jacket and a shirt, ebenei brak, in this type of weather. So lachor, you could even maybe you could maybe even be meiko, I think. Uh, especially, you know, to even to, to be machlif your shirts, because if your shirts are getting sweaty, that's also, it's not a beged zeya mamish, like a t-shirt, which is meant to be makabal de zeya. But if you're in a situation where everything gets sweaty, then perhaps you could even change your upper shirt. But let's talk about the the, uh, the lower shirt. They call it a gufiyah. I think they call it in, in Ivrit, right? They call it like a t-shirt. So Rav Scheinberg was makbid, even not to wear T-shirts that had not been laundered. In other words, freshly laundered T-shirts you wouldn't wear. In fact, he brings here, I don't know who this Rabbi Shu, maybe you know him, Port, Rabbi, Shu, Rabbi Shai Portnoy. Do you remember Shai Portnoy from the Yeshiva? I remember yeah. What? I remember Yeah. He was a Rabbi in Yeah. So, Rabbi Shai Portnoy asked Rabbi Scheinberg, Okay, what about what about T-shirts? Can I you know, okay? If I run out, I get sweaty. Can I wear laundered T-shirts? So he says, In other words, in it's okay. You could say it's begedzeya. We can be meiko, but living Yerushalayim makes you have to be more machmir in terms of avelus. And what was Rav Scheinberg's raya? So this is a mechudish tikkapsak. In other words, that out in Yerushalayim you got to be more machmir. In other words, even though in, outside you could say big they say it's not chal and the place can say things, but if you're in Yerushalayim, you have to up the level of how you are makabel avelus, which would mean Rabbi Yashiv and others who in Yerushalayim had to be more machmir and hilchas avelus than others. So where was Rav Scheinberg's raya? So he says, think about it. We know, why is it that people who live in Yerushalayim don't rice Kriya when they see the Kaisal, right? People who live in Yerushalayim, even though they haven't been to the Kaisal in a while, the minig was that they didn't, right? Come from Chutzlar, it's one thing. If you come, excuse me, you come from, you live in Yerushalayim, and you haven't been there, how come you don't rice Kriya? Because, Kisoy it's like sort of because I live in Yerushalayim and I feel the regish of the Chorban so terribly, I don't need to rice Kriya. Rice in Kriya is where show that emotion. In other words, you've got a new emotion that, that has now developed within you, which is, I didn't see the... Now it's really there... I've got a rice kriya to show that that's how much that means and how much it's a reality and it's concrete, this feeling. When you're rice kriya, never, when someone dies, right? It's the same thing. This is the moment of, of, of you hearing about the death or the moment that you're burying the person or the moment at the base, wherever your meaning of kriya is, kriya is based on now it's welled up 
And now you give that idea that's welled up, you give it that physical manifestation by rice, by rip, ripping Kriya. So Rav Scheinberg said, if you live in Yerushalayim, you're always in a state of Avelis. You always feel the, the, the state of Yerushalayim Bechor Bonoi. So therefore, it shows you that you have to be, you have, you, you're, in a, you're in a stronger state of Avelis Yerushalayim, which means you have to be Machmir on Big Day Zaya. That was Rav Scheinberg's Chidush. Now, where did Rav Scheinberg, did Rav Scheinberg just, just take that out of the, he didn't take it out of a hat. He took it out of his great Biki. Yes, I'll show you where he took it from. And, and it shows you Rav Scheinberg's greatness, but Rav, in a second, Rav Yashiv rejects this. Um, so let me show you where, uh, uh, where does it come from. So it comes from this, this again, it comes, it's, it's mentioned, I, it took me about 20 minutes to find it. It's mentioned in the, um, it's mentioned in the, in the Bircha Yosef, in uh, the, the Sefer the Chidah, about seeing Yerushalayim. So if you take a look at this Radvaz, look what he says here. He says, You live in Yerushalayim. It's been 30 days since you've seen the Beis Hamikdash, the Kaisal area. Do you have to do Kriya? So the Radvaz says, You definitely have to rise Kriya, even though you live in Yerushalayim. And he brings a Raya from Yerushalmi, um, and, right? And even, again, as long as it's within 30 days, even if you live near the ocean and this is the first time you're seeing it, you saw it 30 days ago, every 30 days you've got to rice Korea. And he says, you know, the Radvaz says, the Kedushas Beis Mikdash is much greater than Kedushas Yerushalayim. So, of course, you have to be Kairea. Now, so why aren't people doing it? Maybe it's because you're here and you're always thinking about the Beis HaMikdash. This is Rav Scheinberg's. This little five words is where Rav Scheinberg gets this Chiddush from. But it's from Alek HaLameymar. Don't tell me the reason why people don't rise Kriya when Yerushalayim is because it's like they're seeing the Beis HaMikdash in front of them all the time. So the Rav says that's not true. Choda. It's not based on what's uh, in your brain. It's telling when you see it. So if when you see it, that causes a, 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 a feeling, chazal feel, means you have to do kriya. It says, take a look at all the brachas that you make. It's based on seeing them, right? Even if you're an oceanographer and you're writing essays on the ocean and stuff like that, but, but you're holed up in your... In, in your little beach cabana, and you haven't gone out of the gone out of the building, but now that you see it, you have to you have to make a brach on the Yamagodo. He says the time of Mishum Agvas Nefesh. I'm sorry, did I skip something? All right. Meimar, this is Rashimberg again. Kivin, the time of Mishum Agvas Nefesh. Oh, it's about the sense of pain. Because you're always in pain, because you live near the Beis Hamikdash area, <laughs> if that's true, why does Allah say that you rip on your Shalayim first, and then you go to the Beis Hamikdash, you rip again, right? <laughs> Once in your Shalayim, already close. Aren't, don't you already have an Agmas Nefesh? Obviously, it's more when you see it. Hilchach, even travel of Shloshim Yom, and you didn't see the base of Mikdash, right? 
So that creates Agmas Nefesh, and you have to do Kriya. The Kasafti calls there, why is the Radvaz writing this? I see people don't do it to live in Yerushalayim. He came to Yerushalayim, but if Yomav, he saw people weren't rising Kriya, but he says, you should be from the Nizarim. So Rav Scheinberg actually brings a raya from what's not lahalocha. Now, the Radvaz said lahalocha, you should rise Kriya. But he, when he was trying to be matzik, the minig of not rising Kriya, he said a svara. So Rav Scheinberg takes that svara and he applies it to Rav Portnoy and he tells Rav Portnoy, if I cared, you and all of us to live in Yerushalayim have to be more machmir on Big Day Zaya. Which again is a beautiful, it shows, it shows a lot of things. It shows that Rav Scheinberg is not only sentimental and a Balregesh, it shows his incredible, incredible Bikiyas of finding that little line there, which to him... But again, I was looking for... I have a safer that's it's three volume. I, I recommend it. It's called Ashrei Haish. It came out when Rebbe Yosha was still alive. These are Rebbe Yosha's Pesachim on Arachayim. It's a three volume safer. You might have it. Do you have it? I don't know if you have it in your show. And I'll just read you Rebbe Yosha's Pesach, which is very straightforward. What? <laughs> it's like a nice bar mitzvah present for you if you can give it. So he says that... Um, he says like this, um, <laughs> He says that, he says, um, Any sort of begotim that are near you, that are close, right? You can, you can change all of them. And it's called a Begit Shoseya. And even though you didn't wash it from before, uh, even though um, it was you didn't wear it from before, you're allowed to wear all the laundered clothes, and maybe even if you don't have any, you might even have a heter. I don't know. I didn't get into that part, but it definitely doesn't have the chumra of 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 of, of Scheinberg. So I think part of what you see over here is that, of course, he understood the sentiment of Rav Scheinberg. And he even probably would be nispoil from the Bikiyas that Rav Scheinberg had in finding this svar that, hey, when you live in Yerushalayim, you have more of a sense of the regish, and the closer you are, you have to be margish more. But it's not a halachic, it doesn't, uh, it's not a halachic aspect that really counts. It's not a halachic value. It's a nice svara, But it cannot impact, and he would never have given that type of psak. I believe. And I think that's just, I wanted to start with something that's Nogea to show you that this is, right, Rav Scheinberg gave a Tzidka Stikapsak, a Machudish Stikapsak, that people of Yerushalayim, and I guess if you live in the Rova, you have to even be more Machmer. Yeah, look, it's called Begadzei, Begadzei is Motor, it's Poshadazei. I want to show you another sample of this sort of like no nonsense attitude. Here was from last week's Parsha, you might, uh, so much in last week's parsha, but here is an interesting shaila that Rav Zilberstein brought to Rabbi Yashiv, and you can see Rabbi Yashiv's attitude here. Take a look. Okay, here was the shaila. I love the shaila because it sort of reminds you of something I would have done. Um, it was an Amer- It was a shaila out of the. I'm going to say it was somewhere in the uh, wilds of, of the Midwest. <laughs> two guys, two American kids, are on a road trip. And uh, they're just traveling in the summer from from state to state, and it's time to get off. Maybe they've decided to get off the main highway and to go on one of those blue blue highways, like the roads off the side. 
And for some reason, they stopped at a uh, at a cemetery somewhere in the middle of I don't know. Pick the most goyish uh, state: Kansas, Iowa, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho. And where was it? It happened to be a Christian cemetery where they parked. Now, it happened to be they sat there. Maybe they wanted to. They took out their egg sandwiches. They opened up their tuna that they got at the Albertsons, and they were making their sandwich. Who knows what was going on there? <laughs> and all of a sudden, uh, you know, a smoky, or who's not a smoky, somebody in an official uniform from the cemetery knocks on their window and says, um, what are you guys doing over here? License what? License registration. What? License but, no, but he was just a guy. So they look at each other and they say, well, they happen to notice that there's a funeral going on. So they say, hey, we're here for the funeral. Okay. So the guard takes their, um, see it up on the board. The guard takes their names, takes their driver's <laughs> license, takes all their information. You're coming to the funeral? Okay. So once they're in there, in for a penny, in for a penny, in for a pound, they actually join the procession, and they they stand out there at the, in this Goyesha cemetery, and they're standing there by the Leviah. A month later, these two Jewish kids, I don't know, you call them Mutt and Jeff, Yankel Shmero, they get an official document from <coughs> a the courthouse in the. In Bozeman, Bozeman was that, is that? I got the right. What? Montana. Bozeman, Montana. Did I say Montana? No, I, I'm making Montana. up a city. It's not oh, there. Oh, <laughs> said that. Jackson Hole. So anyway, they get they get an official document that says <laughs> that each one is about to get a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> Why? Because it turned it's out, like to whoever showed up. Ah, you, yeah. because the guy who was being buried, sort of like even as a Scrooge, had, he had no relatives, <laughs> no family that they knew about. He had no known relatives, so he wrote in his will, he was he turned himself into a millionaire that anyone who shows up at his funeral is going to get a hundred thousand dollars. That's why they were taking names. That's ex- now you got the story right. And that's the way we to track him down. So, yeah, now if this guy that was this this guy this this uh, fellow that was buried was a guy, so okay, they went in a problem. But then I don't know how these guys decided. They decided to go on the internet and do some research. What was the problem if he's a guy? It's not a problem if he's a guy. But then they found out that he was a Jew, not just any Jew. He was a Jew that actually had that had been a survivor of the Holocaust, made it to America, and decided, I don't want anything to do with being Jewish. I'm going to go to the most un-Jewish place in the world. Maybe change his name as well. How many guys were in the car? <laughs> Two guys. Oh. Now, I, I was wondering if if they was to you know got him a minion. Yeah. You know the guys who, who try not to be Jewish. Right. They end up having you know uh, so leasing like that. So, so Rav Zilberstein felt. So what was the shiloh? So the shiloh was that Savod didn't mean anything. He has relatives, right? Only a ger who's in this guy who never gets married is a Jew who has no kriven, right? So he he had a tzavah keneged halacha, right? His tzavah was keneged halacha. That so the question is, even though the can I write a to override. Uh, you, right. I, 
that we had a cheer about that. It's soon to be on the podcast side. You'll be able to listen to it, I hope. But we gave a cheer about 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 secular wills. But here the will was... We're going to have to refresh our memory. All right. <laughs> Let's assume the will is against halacha. So therefore, right, even though the American law uh, uh, sanctions it. So, Rav, Rav Zilberstein... Who the question, I don't know how it came up to him, but somehow it came up to him. So he felt he had two tzodim. On one side, he says the will doesn't mean anything. On the other hand, maybe it's called avudamimenu mikol odom. Meaning, where's this money going to go? The guy has obviously disconnected himself from his family. He's now dead and we can't get him to have a rapprochement. Uh, here's the money. Or just like there are Jews out there. We do. He said no one came to his funeral. I mean, because they didn't know where he was. But if we can find out that is, you know, that especially today, that he has a fifth cousin, a fourth, let's make a difference. Uh, a grandfather, an uncle, somewhere, somewhere, we're going to be able to trace the line and where that money is going to go to. Maybe the people have to hold on to it. Hold on to it like an apitropus. They can't just cash the check. They have to hold on to the money and do their research. And if they can't find any crime, okay, that's one thing. But can they keep the money or not? That was so they from Zilberstein brought this Shiloh to Rebel Yoshev. So Yoshev right away knew that there was already Makairis that dealt with this type of question. So he said to him, Okay, this this Luach Sam Seifer after him. And the Sam Seifer is the Sam Seifer is built on the Truva Sayyivitz. But he says it was a story that was in the time of the Mar- but the Yaivitz was, was was criticizing a psak of the Maram of Lublin. What was the case of the Maram of Lublin? Again, is everybody interested in this? Okay, but you'll see. But basically, Rav Yashiv knew right away. He had the psak of the Maram. What was the Maram's case? The Maram's case was, as you can see here in the footnote, a young girl who, again, desperate for money, turns herself into a maid by a certain balabos. Now, she had, even though she had, I guess, no liquid cash, she had a number of brillantin, she had a number of, uh, of, of, of earrings and other um, jewelry that she left with her balabos uh, in a safe somewhere, and then she started working as the maid or as the nanny. Um, one day, she picked up and disappeared. Nobody knew where she was. She never said where her family was. So now, the Balabas, who has this money in his, in his safe, wants to know what to do with it. Now, this was a shy from about 500 years ago. Late 1500s, about 450 years ago. Um, so, some thought, um, right, maybe, what should we do? Um, so the Maram said that that in a case where you don't know who the Irish is that Bezdin uh, takes it away from the Balabas and they do a research they do research about this and they try to find out who it is the Chassam Seifer disagreed with that Maram he said the Maram's riots are not true and the Rabbi Yaakov Emden already disagreed with him. Look at the Chassam Seifer. If a person has money, the guy disappears, and the money just shows up. You know nothing about the person. 
even though you know they're a Jew. That's like a gift, he says. He says you can't he says you can't take the money away from the person. He says, even if you want to say some guy will show up and say, I'm the Irish, how can they prove it? How can they prove they're the Irish of that person? You don't know. They, we never knew about him when he was alive. So the Chsam Sefer said, in such a case, it's called Maman Shein Leitoyvim. There's nobody here that you know that wants the money. And therefore, the Chsam Sefer goes even further and says, Mishamayim Zochulei. The situation turned out, she leaves, similar to the people at the uh, who turn into the cemetery. It was Mishamayim, you should get this money. And therefore, nobody can take it from you. If you want to, the Chsam Sefer says, you feel bad about it, so take a little bit of that money and, I know, make a Karen Kayemis for that person so it should be for their neshama. But the money you're able to keep, you don't have to do a bedika and a Chakira about where the money is from. You assume it's sort of like a gift that came to you. Now, I didn't say that. Rakhamendin, who you might want to be chaylik, didn't say that. The Chsam Sefer said it. Chsam Sefer is considered Paisek Hadar. So the Chsam Sefer's tshuva is exactly the shaila of the the the, the Bozmont uh, cemetery boys, but look what the Rabbi Yashem said. It's a Dover mishuna. <laughs> it makes no sense. Matana from Shamayim. I don't care if it's a Chassam Seifer. What? I didn't. How's it become yours? You know that it's not yours. You know that this person's a Jew. You have a right to keep it because uh, you don't know it's Mum and Shein Leitovim. Of course it's Mum Shein Leitovim. They don't know who he is, but it's still Shaykh to them. There doesn't have to be a Tviya. Yerusha doesn't come with a Tviya. Yerusha happens automatically. You already, if you're related to that person, the money comes to you Mishamayim. That's the Mishamayim. It's not that you get it Mishamayim because of the circumstances. You now own the money. So Rabbi Yashiv says, I don't even understand what he's saying. And I don't understand the Yavitz either. He says, the Maram is right, and it's Mamish Gzela. Now, you would never hear, again, again, I love Rav Scheinberg, and, and I actually got a nice note from David. Did you actually send him the tape? Or you just, you sent him yeah, the tape as well? Yeah. Material. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, uh, far be it for me, but could you imagine Rav Scheinberg or others saying, eh, some cipher, right? Yeah, I don't understand what he's saying. Some cipher is mishkerecht. Rav Scheinberg would, would try to show you, right? He would start with some cipher, and he'd come up with a hakira, perhaps. Rav Yoshev says, listen, no, it's wrong. I don't care if it's Chum Seifer, Yaakov Emden, it's Mishunim. Nishtemes. Nishtemes, goodbye. So that is really, right? In the Mishbeh's Chayim, Rav Shaiman argued with Echorim all the time. Right. But he wouldn't say, I don't know what they're saying. He would say, Meken Zugan Andesh. Right. He would say, Kakashan, maybe we can say this is the Machlekes. What I'm talking about is the approach. The approach is, is that, look, don't, you don't say, oh, well, some ciphers like this. Maybe you can be Saimach You can be Saimach, you're a Muchzik now. You can be Saimach, some cipher. The God of Ador, the Paisik Ador, some cipher. No. It's a Dover Mishun, it's Nishtemes, goodbye, it's Gazela. So I'm saying, what? So again, this is, this is a Tkifus that is incredible, really, if you think about it. Now, again, Yankee, I don't know if this is a Chumra or a Kula, but the point is, is that, you know, he doesn't play games. And, uh, and, and yet, right? Which is, which is, which I think is, again, you, you don't even see this type of tkifus from, from Malaysia. So, yeah. 
In this case, the way you've drawn it up, being a Holocaust survivor, how would these people, as you went back before, even prove? Because there's probably not even any DNA. They already buried him. He was alone. How would someone prove that they are really? Because they didn't know him. They didn't grow up around him. There's no witnesses. Yes, that's part of the Chum Sefer's time. It's going to be very difficult for anybody to prove that they are the relative. But that doesn't mean you can keep it. Is there there is a relative out there. And even there's if they can prove relative. that they're a relative, can they prove that there isn't a closer relative if it's a fifth cousin or well, a sixth de- cousin? It was definitely not shy to them. Um, I, I, yeah. but I, I don't understand. Aren't you able to, aren't you able to like give something away in a will? So this is another question. whether, But that's if you give a matan mechayim. That's if you give it before your p'tira. He didn't give it. No, no, he... Right. He wrote the will, and, and, right? But he wrote and he the will, which who shows up at my funeral. But he doesn't give it to him now, though. He doesn't. He doesn't give it. He, he doesn't grant them the money in advance. You're saying he never came in with the lawyer that it's, it's, there's my akshav on tonight. They show up at the funeral. They didn't know that. The way it worked no, is there is an estate. The estate is here, and now that we know who showed up, we now give it to everybody who shows up at the estate. When he gave it away. Didn't give it away with a Freya. The money, if nobody, I don't know if where it would go. Up, I don't know if, if nobody showed up. Maybe he had a, a charity he would go to. But but the estate was was the, the estate goes directly through. But we hold Yesh Freya. But not but 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 depends how he does the matana. So it, it's called it's it's tzavosh din. So if he made a kinyan with the lawyer. Okay, I'm not sure. That's a good question. Again, you know what? I, we need to be mavired more what the case was. The, the, the point, though, again, the point I think is there that, you know, that, again, the, the, you guys have to be the apitropsin. You have the $100,000 check. You got the $100,000 check. Do your research now. Let's do more research and find out. And if there could be, give it to the bet, whatever it is. But Why? you can't cash the check. Why did they bring a riot from that famous Gemara with a guy who found money and he bought chickens and he planted fields? And years later, the guy came back and gave him a flock of goats. <coughs> the guy was. He should have just taken it. It's, away. it's, it's a Gemara. The famous Gemara. So you're saying, because, well, first of all, over here, it won't be so hard. It's going to be so difficult. It's a Midas Hasidus over there, no? That he did all this with Ashavis Aveda. He had no idea who the Bible were. Okay, so Ashavis Aveda is a little bit different. An Aveda that we know doesn't have any bile. And if there's Yeyush and stuff like that, that's different. We'll talk about that maybe next week a little bit in the Kesser Torah case. All right. You don't think there's Yeyush over here? People only, yeah. the on the not on Yerusha. On Yerusha, it's not. Yerusha, again, it, 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 it's always a, a Chiddush that you become a Yorish, right? You never know. All of a sudden you find out you have, uh, what, you're going to say you were, yeah, right? Yeyush would be, it was taken from me. And now it's gone. It's beyond my ken. I don't know where it is. I probably gave up on it already. Here, every Yerusha, you have to find out who were the Yerusha. Anyway. All right, so I think we set the table a little bit to open the case book next week. We'll talk about some of his early cases. And, oh, next week, I'm actually not going to be in town. So uh, when I come back in two weeks, then we'll talk about that case. All right. I'll, I'm going to work on it. If Gary would have come, if, if one of you want to uh, take up the uh, cudgel here. Yeah. You're going away. Some of the samples on YouTube. So, All right, we're going to stop here. Take up the uh, cudgel here. Yeah, you're going away. Some of the samples on YouTube. So.